Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our first sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast for episode number 100. The date is September, September the 17th, year of our Lord, 2023. Celebrating episode 100, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who's subscribed to the podcast, who listens to the podcast, who watches the podcast, who shares the podcast, who cuts clips from the podcast, anybody out there who is engaged with the podcast, we want to thank you from everyone here at Free People Radio and the Please Call Me Crazy team. We're very thankful for the audience that we've accrued in these first, uh, we started in probably March, April. I was gone for two months in the big three. These first three months or so, um, 90 days in, we're at about 15,000 subscribers on YouTube. We're getting huge uh, war room audiences every night on both Rumble and Gitter. So we want to send a special thank you to our war room uh, comrades there, Steve Bannon, Maureen Bannon, and the great Grace Chong. Um, the whole War Room Posse, the entire War Room Posse that's expansive, the entire country of America First Patriots. We love you. We we thank you. We appreciate your hard work, your efforts, your support. We hear you, right? We hear the comments. We hear the feedback. Uh, we're building a, a platform right now for many more people to be able to engage with myself and, and the people here at Free People Radio on a more consistent basis. I think on Saturday nights, we are going to do a live show where people can call in. That will be on the Royce White USA channel. Um, my Senate website is nearly completed, should be done this week. Free People Radio's patron program will be up and running this week, so you can make contributions if you so desire. You enjoy the content, you like the content, we would appreciate that. We're not begging you. We're not forcing you. We're asking, hey, if you feel like you like the content and you want to be a supporter, <clears throat> feel free to become a patron. My entire digital footprint is getting organized, reorganized in, in, uh, ahead of this Senate campaign. And, and because of that, there are going to be many links and websites that people will be able to follow and track what we're doing, as well as buy merchandise. The merchandise is sure to be a fun part of what we're doing at Free People Radio for sure. <clears throat> As well as the last renaissance, we plan to get Hebrews up and running in the next couple of weeks with myself and the great Professor Penn. If you haven't already subscribed to his podcast, he's running on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. He and I will do Hebrews once a week, so you can look forward to that, um, as well as the last renaissance. Now, the great A.J. Barker is a teacher. He's back in school, so he and I have to work out the schedule for him and I to be able to do the last renaissance podcast. But the last renaissance website will be up and running and will feature merchandise that I wore uh, or, or promoted during the big three, such as uh, Who Killed JFK or Trump Won or Protect RFK Jr. or Investigate Maui and all of the things that you saw uh, this, this past summer. Uh, we're going to have t-shirts and merchandise made out of those things, so that'll be fun as well. Um, other than that, we're still available on all major audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on band.video. We appreciate the entire InfoWars team and the great Alex Jones for hosting our content on his servers over at InfoWars. 
uh, band.video. Uh, you can also find us on BitChute, backed up if all things go south and we get censored off of every platform and every server. Um, anything? Am I, am I missing anything? Oh, special thank you to the great Fearless audience as well. We, we appreciate the Fearless audience. I haven't been on Fearless in, in quite a while, but uh, a couple weeks, I'd say, and football season is just starting up here. So myself, I'm, I'm, I'm outside of the sports loop somewhat. But that brings me to my episode today. So uh, again, I want to thank everybody. We're celebrating the 100th episode. Um, I thank you. I, I appreciate your, your viewership and your listenership today and in the future. Let's get rolling with episode 100. And without further ado, the topic today, as it just so happens, is 3 a.m. in the morning. The benefit of being able to have a self-run studio, and we've 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 got the studio to a point now where I can literally run and produce the podcast myself. I don't need anybody to to sit in, although I have people who produce it and and post or edit it and post. Uh, and so I'm I'm going out of town, going to do a huge interview with with uh, a major political figure, and I can't really say who it is or tell you when this interview will be released, but it should be released in the near future, and I'm sure it's gonna be a great, great conversation between he and I, uh, two America first minds coming together and, and having a conversation about the future of the country. So I'm on my way out of town, but before I went out of town, I didn't wanna leave you without an episode because we have a, a faithful uh, audience uh, here on YouTube, on the audio platform, and and certainly there on on Rumble and with the War Room Posse. Um, so with that being said, I, you know, today's episode is is to celebrate 100, but it's also to talk about something that that really inspired the podcast at this at this wee hour in the morning, and that is Deion Sanders. Now you know, I'm a professional athlete, and and many of you may not know that as far as professional athletes go, and being unique and special talent, I I am one of those, and many of you have been robbed of the the chance to see me compete um, at the highest level. Uh, if you followed my career at Iowa State, you got a glimpse of it, but it was just a glimpse. I played one season. If you were able to follow me in Canada for some strange reason, you got a glimpse of it. I was only able to play two seasons. And if you've been following the big three, you're getting a glimpse of it because it's three-on-three three half court. Not to diminish three-on-three three half court. It's actually a much more physical game and in some ways more entertaining, D different, much different. But um, there's something to be said for five-on-five five full court. And and uh, I, I certainly uh, – I certainly believe that that I would be a pleasure for many, many basketball fans to watch. So, you know, I, I'm an athlete, but I rarely talk about sports. And the reason I rarely talk about sports is because uh, partly what I'm, I'm going to discuss today, but mostly because I think the country is, is in a place, uh, society around the world is in a place where sports has become more or less a distraction from what's really important. Um, and, and I, I struggle with that as an athlete, I struggle with that. My young, my young son, uh, both of my sons, uh, all four of my children are, are, you know, aspire to be involved in, in sports. And it's hard for a, a parent who understands the normalcy around youth, uh, youth participation in sports. And, and, and I'm an advocate of it. I think sports teaches us great things, but understanding the dire situation the country's in and the dire situation that society is in as a whole around the world. So I struggle with that. Um, but I love the game and, and I love sports. And, and I think there's a part of me that, that understands the genuineness of, of competition. 
when it is genuine and, and the importance of competition and, and the importance of, of resilience and perseverance and hard work and dedication and, and unselfishness uh, and, and, and a whole host of other things that, that become uh, prominent in, in high-level sports. Even at the grassroots level, uh, and there are high-level sports at the grassroots level, at the youth level, they're getting better than ever. So, you know, I, it's, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. I watched this Colorado, Colorado State game. If you all out there don't follow American football, which maybe some of you don't, but you probably still know the name Deion Sanders, uh, Deion Primetime Sanders. He was a, an incredible uh, football player, an incredible athlete, two, two professional sport athlete like myself, now a professional in mixed martial arts. I lost my first fight but I didn't get knocked out and I didn't get submitted. It went the distance, which is an achievement uh, in and of itself, in, in my opinion. And uh, I look forward to, to my return to the, to the combat sports uh, arena. Um, but Deion Sanders was a hell, of a, a hell of a football player, obviously, Hall of Fame level. And he wasn't a bad baseball player as well. It's very hard. You know, one of the hardest, the hardest thing to do is to hit a baseball. That's the hardest thing to do in sports. Very clear why if you go to do something uh, 10 times and, and, and being able and having a success rate of three out of 10 makes you one of the best or, or in the elite class, it's a very hard thing to do. Hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do. And it's gotten progressively harder, I would say, because the, the sport evolves. Pitchers are good. They're throwing nasty shit. Uh, and, and so Deion Sanders was able to, to, to play professional baseball, which is a feat in and of itself. Well, now in his in his retirement, he became a football coach. He coached both of his sons. And, and then as of recent, he's become a college coach, first at the HBCU level and, and uh, now has moved to Colorado. And there's been a lot of hype. There's been a lot of media attention. There's been a lot of, some would say, controversy around Deion Sanders uh, being being the coach at Colorado this year. Certainly there's a lot of, a lot of media coverage of it. And so, you know, myself as somebody who has long since given up watching football, may watch basketball here and there, definitely watch combat sports the most, boxing, MMA, uh, jiu-jitsu matches, things like that, but but not don't really watch professional sports outside of combat sports now. Um basketball here and there. But but I've definitely, you know, all but given up watching American football. Well, I couldn't help but tune in um, yesterday or last night to this, this Colorado game. And, and number one, you know, if you grew up in the 90s like I did, the Dallas Cowboys were a, a, a fixture of American culture and professional sports. The Dallas Cowboys at one point were America's team. Um, this team featured, you know, Hall of Fame legends like Troy Aikman and, and Emmitt Smith, the great running back Emmitt Smith, the great wide receiver Michael Irving, and on the other side of the ball, Deion Sanders, who played both sides of the ball himself in the pros, which is an incredible feat as well. Um, and the one thing about Deion that, that everybody knows or, or would know if you have followed his career is that when they call him prime time, it's for a reason. He's a big personality. He was very entertaining, not only as a player, but, but his persona was entertaining as a football player. And so he's carried that on to Colorado and, and, and there's, you know, Colorado University. And there's a lot of people who, who say it's, it's too much or it's not professional or it's this or it's that or it's this or that. Whatever it is to be said, he's certainly drawing a lot of attention. 
And so much so that I myself was forced to tune in. I had to see this team play and, and, and assess for myself what was going on here, how good they really are. And, and I played football growing up, right? I, was a, I played football at the Pee Wee level all the way up until high school, ninth grade, and I could have been a very good football player, I believe. As far as basketball bodies go, I have a more football build, you know, traditionally speaking. Uh, and, you know, for example, I, you know, I remember running into Gronkowski um, at the Big Three Championship last year. He was playing in the All-Star game, and, and we were in the back, and, and, and Gronk is huge for tight ends. I mean, he's a big, he's a big guy in the NFL, uh, but he's small, not really small, but he's much smaller than me, you know, visibly smaller than me. And I remember we were in the back talking, and, and, and you know, we you know, just chatting a little bit, and then he looked at me and he grabbed me by the shoulder and he goes, man, you should have played football. And I, you know, I kind of laughed and said, man, I, you know, I get that all the time. I'm in, I'm in mixed martial arts now, but, but yeah, football tight end would have been, would have probably been a great position for me. If you're familiar with tight ends and, and the NFL, um, three of the best, three to four of the best tight ends in NFL history were all formerly basketball players. You had Antonio Gonzalez, you had Antonio Gates, you had a, b a bunch of them had had been had formerly played basketball as well as football, and, and it made for uh, pretty pretty good tight ends. Um, so you know we had that laugh. So my my point is I'm not oblivious to football at all, and then that's part of the reason why I wanted to tune in and just get an assessment of of what's going on with this Colorado football team. And I have to say before we get into anything else. What an incredible game. I mean, if you, if, 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 if you, like myself, have become cynical of American sports, American professional sports or collegiate sports, which in many ways function as a professional sport, if you become uh, cynical of, of commercial sports in, in America, I wish you could have seen this game. I really do. Professor Penn here from my bookie, and I know as a better, you demand perfection, and my bookie delivers. NFL, college football, and a brand new cash out system gives you options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit, cash out early and place another bet, or let it ride for a chance at a bigger payday. Join the my bookie family for an entire season filled with daily odds boosts, same game parlays, and super contests. This season, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code FPR on a deposit of 50 or more, and you can receive up to 200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount once, and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, that's promo code FPR to claim your cash deposit bonus. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie because there's there's you know to, to to go back a step professional sports got to the place it did commercially in our country because it's it's supplementing the need for physical war and violence <clears throat> it's kind of like a <clears throat> it's a it's a simulated version of uh the war games that that we traditionally were engaged in as a human civilization all across the world Right. Sports 
supplement supplemented that force. It always had to, to ancient times. They played sports, and I think part of it was to have that competition and that that supplement of of war. But in a post war society, post war, let's say, right, it's to scam in and of itself. But you know, we're post World War, in a post World War society, in a post conquestial uh, society, a colonial society, in a in a in a post pirate society. Uh, pirate and pillage society, sports plays a, a magnified role in supplementing our need for war and combat, which is why now at the height of professional sports in the commercial era, you're seeing the prevalence of combat sports sort of rise to the top and, and the drama of, of, of two men fighting each other in some capacity, whether it's Jake Paul and, and, and whoever he's fighting next, or it's Conor McGregor, or it's, it's Floyd Mayweather, or it's, it's Tyson Fury and, and, and Francis Ngannou, or, or, or it's, uh, you know, two, two fat guys getting together and slapping each other with powder on their hands. I mean, the, the combat element of sports is peaking in commercial, in, in the commercial corporate sports arena for a reason. And so yeah, I say all that because, you know, I'm watching this game and it's inspiring. I mean, I have to say, when, in all honesty, I was inspired watching the game. You know, many people don't think Deion Sanders will have the level of success that Deion believes he will have himself. And so now every weekend they've built this narrative where you know, it's it's Deion Sanders and his his you know new uh, role as the head coach at this university coming from the HBCU is this underdog story. And uh, number one, it's really cool to watch an underdog story play out. Um, it's 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 really interesting that that a team who on paper is probably better than the other team still is the underdog because of the narrative. And we're going to talk about some of that. That's what I really want to get to. That's why I think this, this Deion Sanders story is so fascinating because it's layered and it's nuanced. And that's what we do here at Please Call Me Crazy. Again, this is our 100th episode. If, if you're new to the podcast, strap in. If you're not new, then you know we're going to go layers deep. Um, pause. Um, I'm watching this game, and, and the first thing I got to say is Deion Sanders' son, who is the quarterback for Colorado, um, Shador Sanders, is a G. He is a gangster. I mean, what he was able to do in the later part of that game was nothing short of history-making moments. I mean, when they look back at Deion Sanders' Uh, transition at, into being a college coach and the the media coverage that was around this time period in, in, in collegiate football, his performance last night was memorable, to say the least. And if you're an athlete, if you ever played at a high level, despite anything else that's going on around the game, you can look at, a, at an athlete, you can watch an athlete perform, and you can separate out whether you like that athlete or not and if they're having a memorable moment in that in that moment, um, and then that goes for any athlete. But but Shador uh, had an incredible game down the stretch. They were down a touchdown. They fought all the way back. They had been on the ropes, so to speak, um, and they they fought back. And and you know I thought I thought Shador in the beginning of the game. You know he threw a pick. The pick wasn't his fault. The rule is in football, just like basketball, if you get two hands on the ball, you got to catch the fucking ball. That's just the rule. 
If you don't catch the ball and you get two hands on it, it was your fault. Well, in football, statistically, just like in basketball, statistically, the person who threw the pass still ends up with the turnover. But culturally speaking, we all know you should have caught that fucking ball. <laughs> okay. Uh and and so Shadour threw a pick, but the pick, you know, the ball went straight through, or or the receiver had his hands on it and the safety just basically was in the right place at the right time, falling in the right way. And Take took the ball from from the wide receiver, um, and then another play. You know their their uh, star wide receiver who ended up getting hurt halfway through the game, having to leave the game and go to the hospital. Um, Travis Hunter he fumbled a football uncharacteristically and kind of was a fluke freak accident too. So anyway, you know this this game had had its ups and downs for Colorado. They're making a comeback all the way in late into the fourth quarter, down to the last two minutes two-minute drill. Now, this whole time change, time rules change, where in the last six minutes, the clock runs until it's under two minutes, completely new to me. I don't watch football enough to know why that happens or why they made that change. But for a team that's down by a touchdown and now the clock's not stopping, if you go out of bounds for or, or for any other reason, for four straight minutes uh, is is loopy for, for me to watch because I don't, I don't watch close enough. But um, anyway, that, that's what was taking place. Colorado was trying to fight their way back. The time was against them. They come up with a big stop there. The uh, Colorado state, right? This is, this is a huge rivalry for them. Colorado and Colorado state, Colorado state has to punt the ball on a fourth down. They get a big stop. They have to punt the ball. They punt the ball down onto the Colorado's own two yard line. So now Shadur Sanders has to basically operate offense out of his own end zone with two minutes to go, right? Classic two-minute drill, full length of the field, and he marches down the field without his probably NFL-level wide receiver, star wide receiver. Then not only does he proceed to march down the field and, and, and tie the game, essentially. First of all, he marched down the field, they score, they kick a field goal, they go into overtime, he marches down the field another time and then they go into a second overtime and he comes down and he scores another touchdown not only does he score a touchdown he converts the two-point play to put them ahead by eight points which put which put Colorado State in a position where they would have to both score and they would have to uh, convert a two-point they would have to convert a, a two-point which is basically for all of you who are not sports fans out there, you score a touchdown, you get six, you kick a field goal, the extra point, you get a single point. If you run a play and score again, you get two points instead of one. So, you know, you can end up with seven if you score a touchdown a lot of times, which is traditional guys kick the extra point, or you can end up with eight. Or, hey, you get a field goal blocked or you miss the two point, you only end up with six shorthanded. Anyway, they end up winning this game and, and, uh, you know, it was just a magnificent performance by Shador Sanders and and his brother as well, Shiloh Sanders, who plays uh, defense and is a, a, a DB, a defensive back. Um, he he had a interception that he ran back for a touchdown, uh, and he also had a, a huge, huge um, defensive stop down the stretch uh, that helped them be able to get the ball back and, and march forward. So. Both of Deion Sanders' sons played well, and it was inspirational to see. And before we talk about anything else, you got to take your hat off to the Colorado program and what they what they were able to do last night, uh, proving whoever the naysayers are wrong. And as an athlete, 
You love to see it. I mean, I don't care if I like you or not. Look, I don't care if it, it could be LeBron James and all the chips are stacked up against him. If he finds a way to 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 if he finds a way to power through the heat of competition and come out victorious, we tip our hat. That's part of having sacred honor. It's a part of sacred honor that I think is lost. It's everybody's sense of respect or or um admiration or uh giving somebody their their just due their just credit is all contingent upon our relative opinions about people and about an institution or a given thing me i'm not really like that right i have my beliefs about individuals personally like lebron james off of the court but i can still watch him play basketball and say man uh incredible and as soon as the game's done and he goes to the post-game press conference and he wants to make some statement about some woke politic issue, I said, nah, that's, nope, nah, that's the bullshit right there. And as soon as he goes back on the court, I go, look, that's fucking amazing. And I have no problem doing that. Uh, I think a lot of us have a problem doing that. We get caught up in this, you know, this sort of uh, political dichotomy uh, and, and we, we apply it across culture. And it's detrimental. It's detrimental to our own spirit. It's detrimental to our own uh, view of things and our ability to be able to discern right from wrong and, and how, to, how to talk about things. So, you know, I'm watching this game, and Shador's playing incredible. The other Sanders kids playing incredible. Colorado's playing incredible. They're hyped up. The Colorado fans are hyped up. Have you ever seen a college football stadium in a very close game that goes into double overtime? The, the feeling is, 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 is surreal. And I think that's sort of the problem. You know, that's the problem I have with it. Outside of my respect for what happened, outside of my respect for Deion Sanders being able to coach a team that's winning, whether you think he's responsible for them winning or not, doesn't really matter. They won. There are winners and losers, and those who win, they get the credit for winning. That's just the way American sports has always been. It's the way it always will be so far as we continue to have sports. Um, so, you know, Deion, you know, hats off to him. Now, what I want to talk about today, and I hope that intro wasn't, wasn't too long-winded. What I want to talk about today is the culture that's kind of bubbling up around this Colorado team. And it is an underdog story, but as much as it's an underdog story, it's also a racial story. And the racial piece I have a problem with, and I'm going to tell you why. Again, I'm not one of these conservative cucks. I'm not one of these, uh, you know, rhino black conservatives that says, let's stop talking about race. Race doesn't matter. I'm not one of these people who's afraid to talk about race. Race is a very real, real thing in our society. It's a very real thing in our history. The key is to be able to speak about it truthfully, honestly, and, and forthright. And I think all of us can work on doing that better, as we do with all things. Race isn't special in that way. It just so happens that race is one of the key driving narratives of American culture and culture all around the world. And the Deion Sanders story is a prime example, no pun intended. Um, and Dion made it that way. You know, Dion, Dion, like so many black public figures, um, it, it, it's easy for a black man in America to draw upon the narrative that they are afraid of black men. And if you've been watching Jason Whitlock, Jason has, has talked about this, you know, after one of the press conference, 
press conferences where Colorado had won, Dion said, you know, they don't want to see a black man succeed. And uh, it, it, it's it's funny because it's such an easy narrative to draw on, number one. It's, it's kind of like, it's almost cookie cutter at this point, right? It's so basic. It's so overutilized that it's 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 not a real reflection of of somebody having a, a real gravitas around social political issues to say such a thing. Although there's a lot of truth to it, and and I said when I was on a Twitter space with Jason Whitlock and the rest of the Fearless Army about this Deion Sanders issues, I said, you know, what Dion really is afraid to say. Number one, he's afraid to name the people that don't want to see a black man be successful, and the other piece is that the Democrat Party, if we're talking politically, because when you say a thing like they don't want black men to be successful, you're making a political statement. That's not a general statement. It's not a subtle statement. It's not a, a, a you know, around the, around the way statement. It's a very direct political statement. And there are people out here that don't want to see black men succeed. There are people out here who don't want to see heterosexual black men succeed. And, and many of those people, I would say, are the leaders of the Democrat Party. Some of them black themselves. I think that's very clear, uh, and I think people are starting to wake up to that. And I and I don't think that Deion Sanders really wanted to dive deep down into that uh, for very for very obvious reasons. It it would have ramifications on on all the success he's having right now as a football coach, but also commercially. Uh, and so, um, again, drawn on the race narrative is easy, and because he's drawn on the race narrative, what I'm watching as I'm watching the coverage of this Deion Sanders, uh, you know, saga, what I'm watching is all of these black celebrities find their way to the bandwagon. And Deion's willing to use it because like in the game yesterday, hey, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson shows up and supports your team and, and Lil Wayne The Rapper shows up to support your team and, and uh, one some other rapper from, from the Migos rap group, um, I think it was, uh, uh, I'm not going to say his name. I know one of them died tragically, was shot and killed. My condolences to him and his family and the entire Migos rap group. But, but there was another rapper there from that group. And so when you get those type of celebrities around a college football program and these young college athletes who are very impressionable and right now more than ever very um, engaged with the rapid rise of popularity through social media, you know, the, the, this, this sort of, uh, you know, the access to fame has been granted far and wide more than any time in history. So when you get these people around the program, it's going to help your program. It's going to help your program recruit. It's obviously going to help people watch the games. I mean, there's so much hype around the games. I would love to see the ratings, the, the ratings from last night's game to see how many people were actually tuned in to a Colorado, Colorado State game. I'm not saying these two programs are shit, but I mean, it's, it's a Saturday, it's a Saturday in American football. I mean, there's, you know, Alabama was playing. I mean, you know, there are games, rivalry games all across the country, right? I'm in, I'm Minnesota boy, Big Ten country. There are any number of, of historic rivalries right here in, in the Big Ten. Um, but this game had a lot of attention, had a lot of eyeballs, had a lot of celebrities at it. And I, now I'm watching these black celebrities and I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a scam we've put on, you know, you know, what, what a scam we've put on. And I don't, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to 
I am not in any way trying to diminish what Deion Sanders has accomplished. But number one, to go back to my original point, I think sport, I mean, we are on the verge of a world war. All right. We're on the verge of World War Three, for sure. I mean, the buried the buried lead is that we shot cruise missiles. We gave cruise missiles to the Ukraine, which is a provocation of the highest level. And we told the Ukrainians, supposedly, you better not shoot these cruise missiles into Russia. And effectively, they shot the cruise missiles into Russia. Or we helped them shoot cruise missiles into Russia, which now has everybody on alert for some small nuclear exchange. And I mean, we're on the brink of nuclear war. And it just never ceases to amaze me how the American people have allowed themselves or allowed their leaders or allowed their institutions to distract them with things like American football when we're on the way to nuclear war. And I mean, hey, if you have a game that you have to watch, like I had this, I mean, I had to watch this game. I had to tune in. I just had to see what this culture phenomenon was all about. But I spent the rest of my day preparing a Senate campaign campaign to try and relieve the swamp of all of its crony capitalist crooks. And I just wondered to myself as I'm watching the game and I'm seeing all this black celebrity around this game and I'm seeing people tweet about it and I'm seeing what's trending on Twitter and all these famous people that are so interested and have to have a comment on this game. I know I'm saying it and I'm doing a podcast on it, but I'm just watching this and I'm thinking to myself, what a scam. What a scam we've put on here. I mean, number one, Deion Sanders is a good foot was a great football player. He was the best defensive. He is the best defensive back in NFL history. So his football credentials can't be questioned. His, his contribution to the game of football is legendary by every metric. And by that standard, I, I would be hard-pressed to think he wouldn't make a good football coach. Now, is he the best coach? Is he as good as the hype says? I don't know. I don't watch football enough, close enough to, to really know nor care. But I know they're 3-0, and and there's a lot of hype around the program. The question is, how much of the hype is really about Deion Sanders and his accomplishments and his ability to coach? And how much of the hype is about this racial narrative that's brewing alongside him? And there is a racial narrative. And the racial narrative seems to be something like this. For a long time, the NFL and even college programs didn't really, didn't really um, prioritize or, or give equal access to head coaching jobs for black head coaches. Obviously, ex-players who were Hall of Famers pose an entirely new proposition in that regard because, number one, they can recruit like Deion Sanders is showing, and number two, they draw huge eyes, which if you're a business, a capitalist business, and you want to draw eyes like Deion Sanders is doing, it'd be hard-pressed to tell him that he can't be a head coach because you don't think he's qualified, right? And so that's, you know, that's always been the case in, in some respect, but now a lot of these players who had legendary Hall of Fame NFL careers are are being uh, are able to pursue head coaching jobs like Dion is now. And so the narrative is is something like Dion Sanders is a representation of white America's desire to keep the black man down. And alongside that narrative, 
all these black celebrities, but black people in general, have lined up to cheer on Deion Sanders, uh, you know, not just as a great football coach or as a, a, a football coach who, a new football coach or a football coach who used to be an incredible player himself, or you know, not in some, in some sports-specific way, but almost as a revolutionary. Deion Sanders is a good football coach. He's having success. He is one of the best at his position and one of the best football players and athletes of all time. That goes without saying. He is not a revolutionary. And I make this distinction not to throw shade on Deion Sanders, but to help the American public understand or try to see how easy we, be, we clamor to individuals for superficial, or let's not even call it superficial, for success outside of the arena of the thing that we then put on them, right? Deion Sanders is not a revolutionary. So the success of Deion Sanders at Colorado doesn't need to be some political statement. It doesn't need to be some political revolutionary statement because it's not revolutionary. And if we really get down to the nitty gritty about Deion Sanders specifically, there's nothing revolutionary about what he's doing. I mean, this, this strikes right at the heart of what has become the real question for black America. But, but in, in effect, the question for all Americans is like, how can you claim to be a revolutionary of the system that doesn't want to see you succeed, but those same people, including the white people who some white people supposedly hate you, but than some white people you're willing to work for and take money from. And, and so you hate the system, the system's guilty, but it's not guilty enough for you not to take money from it, right? Or, it, you know, basically, you know, I don't know who runs Colorado University, but I know the demographic of Colorado itself. I certainly know the demographic of Boulder, Colorado, and I know the, Colorado, the, the, the demographic of most of the, the Division I universities around the country. They're ran by white people. And even furthermore, they're usually run by white liberals. I mean, almost explicitly, categorically, they're run by white liberals. And, and so, again, we run into this, this sort of contradiction where the narrative is white people bad, like Ilhan Omar said, white men bad, white men walk around the planet killing people. This should be our fear said the other day, I can't stand, it's offensive when a black woman tells me I should fear white men, and then she goes home and sleeps with one. It's fucking offensive. But, but Deion Sanders and the people who are building this narrative, which is the liberal media, are doing the same thing. They're letting Dion go out, and, and they're building this, this racial narrative, this another racial political narrative around Deion Sanders and his coaching career that is now they don't want to see the black coach succeed. Who doesn't want to see him not who who doesn't want to see him succeed? Who doesn't want to see Deion Sanders succeed? Who doesn't want to see more Deion Sanders? Everybody wants to see more Deion Sanders. I mean, the, the people who don't want to see Deion Sanders in an entertainment format are just probably haters. I mean, and and, and I would agree with Deion on that. And th those people would find anything to hate on anybody about who is in the public spotlight. There aren't many people they like. I mean, Deion Sanders, if nothing else, is bona fide entertainment. He, I mean, he is just an entertaining person.
person. He was as a player. He is still now as a coach. You, he was as a commentator when he comment. I mean, he's an inter, he's an entertaining guy. I mean, they call him primetime for a reason. The nickname is not is is not a um, is not unearned. Uh, so n- nobody doesn't want to see more Deion Sanders. Now, what I think Deion Sanders is alluding to when he says they don't want to see a black man succeed is that there is this sort of structural and there is this there is this cultural impulse to only let straight heterosexual black men rise to a certain level within their respective industry just so happens that the white liberals are the one who keep that cap on Deion Sanders and they are in effect the people who give you money in one respect but but create that artificial ceiling over you to let you know that you're always going to be viewed as a ward of the, the state, a ward of the establishment. You're an acceptance. You're not an essential. You're an acceptance, right? And, and that's who Deion said. You're an exception. You're an exception to the rule. The rule is we really don't want to let you Negroes be in charge of anything. A few exceptions do exist. And when those exceptions are allowed, they're allowed for strategic purposes, whether it's Deion Sanders or it's Jean-Pierre, the, the, the press secretary, or it's, or it's uh, Kentonji Jackson or, you know, pick one. Pick one of these, you know, new stars of the liberal mainstream media that they run the race narrative with and tell, and tell you that they're, they're fighting in the interest of black people. And that really is the problem with this narrative. And it's not just around black America, but this is black America specific is anybody who steps up to the podium, any podium who has black skin is automatically is automatically working on behalf of black people. And none, you know, the sine qua non of it was Barack Obama, right? Barack Obama was and still is. Um, the herald of new world order through this everybody black is pro-black narrative. Everybody who's black is not fighting on in the interest of black people. Everybody who's black is not fighting some revolutionary fight against the establishment. It's ridiculous. And it's, and not only is it ridiculous, it really handicaps black America from being able to have the conversation they need to have today, which is who is actually, well, first of all, what is the fight that, that any, any, resemblance of a black community should come together and fight against what is that fight what are the parameters what are the details what is it that we want to ask for that's what ice cube said so what are we fighting for and then who are the people who are actually fighting on behalf of what they say they're fighting on behalf of how do we measure it how do we test it what's the the litmus test and so we take a guy like Deion sanders and we come to a very concerning question you know Here's a man who came from the HBCUs, the historical black colleges, um, which are viewed as ultra black because they're run by black people and the students are mostly black. Um, so, you know, here's a guy who comes from the HBCUs and was supposedly it was supposedly attempting to build the HBCUs up. And at the first sight of turbulence or the first sight of a better opportunity, he goes to Colorado and he brings his two sons to Colorado with him. You know, some people would look at that and go, hey, this guy's betrayed uh, 
his own claim that he's doing it for black folks, that he's doing it for the black man. The black man, the, the, the pro-black black activists would say, why didn't you stay at the HBCUs and build it up? And it's a, it's a reasonable question. And it's a reasonable question that all black Americans should, should ask themselves is, what is the cost of freedom? What is the cost of freedom and what is the penalty of ownership? The penalty of ownership is, yeah, you may fail. You may fail in radical fashion. But if you own it and you succeed, then it's yours. Well, it's yours unless you let a tyrannical government run by Democrats who really believe in communism tell you that you don't own anything, whether you own it or not. I guess then ownership wouldn't matter. And that, in effect, is where black America seems to be headed in some ways. Now, there are a little contingent. There's a little small movement sparking and bubbling up that says, wait, wait, wait a minute. We want our ownership. We need our ownership. And that's not really what Dion's narrative is. And look, Dion has to look out for Dion. I can't speak to Dion's, you know, personal life. I can't speak to what he's trying to do, what his what his strategy is. But but it just dawns on me that it's not a coincidence how all these black figures who end up with the most media attention never can speak to political issues at a depth that's really game changing. And it's Dion too. I mean, it, come on. I mean, you know, guys. Professor Penn here for Ghostbed because sleep is super important to your health, recovery, and performance. I know for me, getting a great night's sleep helps me perform my best throughout the day. Our friends at Ghostbed make super high-quality mattresses at excellent prices so you can finally get a supportive night of sleep. We love Ghostbed because it's a family-owned business. They've been making mattresses for over a couple of decades now, and they've made an art of using high-quality, super-cooling materials. You won't wake up in a pool of your own sweat sleeping in these beds even in the dead of summer. You get a 101-night sleep trial along with free shipping and returns when you purchase a mattress so you can try it in the comfort of your own home. And Ghostbed has a dedicated team of sleep experts on standby to help you find your perfect bed. Head to ghostbed.com upward slash Royce today and use promo code FPR for 40% off site-wide. They also have RV mattresses, foundation sheets, and cooling pillows. Head over to ghostbed.com upward slash Royce and use promo code FPR for 40% off site-wide. And what, what really dawns on me is that all these black celebrities who come to the teat are in on the scam because there's no way you there's no way you really believe this is the revolutionary this is the revolutionary momentum. Deion Sanders coaching Colorado against the the the, the radically racist and anti-equality college football establishment? Really? That's revolutionary? I mean, come give me a break and I'm not saying it to be a hater again. I separate the sports from the politics, but we are living under a liberal mainstream media industrial complex that wants to merge every every single cultural um every every cultural all cultural momentum with their political agenda. It could be anything. It could be anything. It's always race. It I mean it, it it comes back down to race every time and it's getting watered down. It's like anti-Semitism. The, 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 real, the real criticism of the ADL is that when you throw anti-Semitism around loosely, you water down the, the, the real uh, uh, fight against people who are actually anti-Semitic in a dangerous way. 
when you say that anybody who who even says the word Jew is anti-Semitic, you water down the the word anti-Semitic and you water down what it means to be anti-Semitic and you really you really make it make it easier for people who are dangerously anti-Semitic to to hide. And we've done the same thing for white liberals as the black community. Oh, this person's racist. That person's racist. This person's racist. Uh, the, the whole thing is racist. The whole thing is guilty. Okay, white man bad. Okay, white man bad. But but we're taking all their money. And, and while we take their money, it becomes hard for us to realize the white liberals who give us money are the ones who actually despise us the most. And I don't say that metaphorically or, or as, a, as a way to try and forward a political agenda. I'm talking facts. When Bill Gates is asked what's the population issue and he says population is actually not the problem we thought it was, although it will be a problem in the places where population is growing the most, and then he cuts to an infographic of all Arab and African countries, these are the white liberals that, that mean to neuter black people people with darker skin. I mean, these are your, these are your scientific, technocratic, white liberal elites that are simpatico with the liberal universities, like Colorado, for example. Now, I don't know if Colorado is super liberal leaning. I would assume they are because Denver is a super liberal leaning place and Colorado as a state is, is leaning more to the left as many places are in the country. But, but I just know as a general principle, anywhere you go around the country, the universities, the state universities, an extension of the federal government have been overrun by communists. They've been overrun by communists. And Deion Sanders professes to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and a communist. They, do, they don't work. The entire communist movement was a, an outgrowth of a secular movement or a secular uh, philosophy, secular ideology, and it is, it's explicitly secular. I mean, it, it rejects gods and, it, and its fundamental tenets. You know, the, the two don't go together. And again, I just look at all these things and I say, look, it's fine. Deion Sanders is having a good season. He's having a good first three games. This last game was incredible. I mean, as an athlete, you get emotional seeing a team overcome that type of adversity in a single game because if you've ever been there, you know what it feels like to have your back against the wall and find a way to overcome that adversity. That's special. And humanity should look towards that and draw from that and be inspired by that, that we can overcome the adversity and the hurdles that we face in our individual lives, but as communities, as states, and as a nation. What you saw yesterday from Colorado is the ability for human beings to come together and work together in a short amount of time against the clock to overcome adversity and, and, and be resilient in their time of need. That's special. That's worthwhile. That's valuable. That's meaningful. And we should give, our, we should give proper credit to Deion Sanders for leading that team, not only leading the team to their victory, but what does their victory matter? We should thank Deion Sanders for exposing us to that type of moment, that type of greatness, because without him and people like him and athletes all around the world and, and artists and musicians and, and intellectuals and thinkers like a Jordan Peterson, whoever else, we wouldn't be able to have these moments. 
There are special people out there in the world who deserve our respect, our admiration, and our praise. Uh, n- n- not praise that be to God, but 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 our our our, our credit. We you know their people deserve that. But give them credit for what they deserve credit for. Don't let don't let people who are predatory, people who are manipulative, take the success of a Deion Sanders and weaponize it into some strange, some strange political, uh, you know, agenda. That, that's what's happening to Deion Sanders right now. And I don't even see, I don't even know if he can see it. I don't even know if most black people in America can see it. We're all just jumping on the Deion Sanders train. And again, success hats off to him. I love to see it. I love to see when an athlete or a coach goes out, talks loud and brash, smash mouth populist. You know I'm a brash, loud mouth motherfucker myself. I love to see a guy go out and say he's going to do a thing and back it up. I mean, we need more of that in America. Don't get me wrong. We need more Deion Sanders than we do the cucks that we have now. I like it. But I don't like that Deion Sanders and all these black men who show the spark of greatness I don't like to see them shy away from using that spotlight and that stage to talk about the most prominent things. Now, your Michael Jordans of the world are certain <clears throat> athletes would hide behind this this statement of of uh, of being uneducated on on the th- on things, right? Well I, well, I don't, I don't, you know. We don't need to talk about all things. Athletes don't have to be role models. That was Charles Barkley or. You know, I don't I don't want to talk about something that I'm not familiar with or read up on. But it's an indictment of athletes that you're not educated properly. And it's an indictment of your your liberal universities that that really only want to use you for commercial and economic gain and and don't really care about whether you're educated or don't make it a priority for you to be educated. And if they do, they want you to take some cookie cutter, uh, cheap uh prototype of communism and Marxism that they teach to all the other uh, four-year associate degree or graduate degree, uh, you know, Finocchios and Cucks. This is the reality. This is where we live. This is America. This is America. This has become, this is how even our sports with athletes and coaches and, and minds of people who are spatial geniuses, creativity beyond comprehension. Even our sports and our sportsmen, who should be our natural-born leaders, who understand what it means to give up a piece of their own selfish ambition for a greater good, for a greater result. These people have been co-opted. And they have been co-opted. Deion Sanders right now is in the process of being co-opted for a much broader political narrative. And that political narrative is any black man who you see who's having success and who has popularity is fighting in the interest of black people writ large. It's not true. Deion Sanders is not a revolutionary. And I'm not saying he couldn't be a revolutionary. What I'm saying is what he's doing right now is not politically revolutionary. It's revolutionary potentially to the game of college football. Maybe it's even revolutionary to the game of football as a whole, the entire industry. But it's not revolution in any political sense. So when you conflate race and football in this way, you really, you really bastardize what it means to be revolutionary.
And that's not, you know, that's not something that's that's uncommon either because we uh, we live in a time, I, we live in a time where I hear black women say all the time, just to be a black woman is revolution. That, no, it's not. That's, that's fucking ridiculous. Revolution is an action word, and it's an action word with huge, huge ap- implications. There's nothing, pa- there's nothing passive about being a revolutionary. There's nothing, there's nothing, uh, um, there's nothing stagnant about being a revolutionary. You know, there's nothing that's, that's stationary about being a revolutionary. You don't just exist and be a revolutionary. That's not, that's not even, that's non-starter. But there's people who have convinced themselves of, uh, as such. And there are a lot of black bourgeoisie elites, public figures, who have convinced themselves that their economic success is by default a form of revolution. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, it contradicts the very nature of your root political argument. If the whole system is guilty, then those who take money from the system are also guilty, which is why it's not a smart thing to indict the entire system as guilty. It's more prudent. It's more uh, advantageous. It's more efficacious to identify which institutions and which part of the system are actually corrupt, crooked, and guilty and deal with those systems as such. But it doesn't, it's not beyond me. It, 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 it's not lost on me that the, the, the sort of impulse to cast this, this, this blanket statement on, on institutions and say they're all guilty as a whole is just another way for us to justify when we don't want to do anything to change the corruption in them because we benefit from the corruption in them. And I've seen it my entire adult life. I fought the NBA. I'm saying, yeah, the NBA is corrupt. Not only are they corrupt in the NBA, but the entire cultural attitude, the entire corporate cult, the entire culture of the corporate community, this global corporate community, it's all corrupt. I mean, and it's, it really is corrupt at a fundamental level. Spiritually, it's corrupt, let alone in practice. So, you know, look, yeah, there's corruption. I mean, there's huge corruption. Let's call it for what it is. Let's do that. Let's, let's be brave in that way. And if we don't want to be brave in that way, when we watch Deion Sanders, let's not turn Deion Sanders into some sideshow that we're going to try and map on to some revolutionary political agenda or categorize as being politically revolutionary. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary and it's weak and it's corny. That's the real issue I have with it. It's corny. Let's just respect and admire Deion Sanders for what it is. It's prime time. It's Deion Sanders. We're having a blast watching him because we've always had a blast watching him. He's entertaining, and right now he's having success, and he's talking shit while he's doing it, and that's fun to watch. Smash mouth. I like it. Now, if I could take Deion's ear, I, 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 would, I would encourage him as a fellow Christian man, lean into God, lean into Christ. And understand what leaning into Christ and God means in this era. Understand what leaning into God and Christ means in this generation of American culture. Understand why it's a problem for you to bring P-Valley, which stars uh, basically a narrative or a story about a transgender, bringing them to an HBCU, which is already overrun 
with LGBTQism, which is offensive in and of itself. Like black people and the history of black people and the, the charter or, or, or the mandate or the mission of the historical black colleges isn't already leaps and bounds behind our set goals, our set uh, uh, milestones without having to be co-opted by some LGBTQ agenda as well. Now the HBCUs have to be a bastion of black trans lives matter or else it's not a real pro-black movement. Are you kidding me? So to bring P-Valley is, is kind of offensive. It should offend it should offend the HBCUs. It should offend people who went to the HBCUs. It should offend everybody out there in the country who's watching the charade and going, hey, I thought it was God and Christ. And that's not a knock on the LGBTQ community. All I'm saying is everybody wants to have this. Everybody wants to have it always. I mean, you can't have it always. You end up having it no way. And that's what we have right now. We have a no way culture. We have a no way society. We have a no way direction. And when I say no way, I mean we're caught up watching the Saturday night, Saturday night football game, which is entertaining as hell and inspirational, like I said, which is why I'm here at now 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m., 5 a.m. talking about this game. But it just made me think, wow, Americans really want to continue on as though everything is going to go back to normal. Or things are going to stay normal. I just thought to myself, I wonder has Deion Sanders considered what's going to happen when they go back to a, 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 a COVID scenario, COVID lockdown, high COVID protocols, and the entire Colorado season is just abruptly ended in the middle of, of, the, of this incredible, uh, uh, historic, inspirational run he's having as a head coach. I wonder how those players are going to feel. I wonder how players and athletes are going to feel all across the country. But even more so, I wonder how the American public is going to feel. We all want things to sort of stay normal, to, to, to go back to normal. It's never going back to normal. That's my opinion. It's never going back to normal. The new normal needs to be an evolution of our understanding and, and our ability to self-govern. And if we ever can get back to a place that's healthy, I wouldn't say normal, but get to a place that's healthy, it's not going to be from sitting back passive, allowing Deion Sanders to be represented as political revolution. No, 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 no. We're on our way to nuclear war. And there's nothing about what happened in last night's football game that will stop the progression of an all-out kinetic nuclear war between ourselves and Russia. There's nothing that happened in that football game that's going to change that. The drums of war are on. They're, they've been sounded. The, the, the beacons have been lit. We are marching towards a world war. For what reason? Many people who I sit with every day, who are very studied and learned in, in geopolitics and, and history, can't figure out for the life of us what this war is even all about. I mean, we know they want to tell you that Russia invaded Ukraine, but we just can't figure out why the United States had such a hard-on for Russia in the first place. What is it to us? What is it to the American people? We don't have a bone to pick with Russia. We don't need Russia. We don't, we've never fought in a war against Russia. This, this, is a European, this is a European problem. 
we are being led by European ideologues and we're being led right into a shooting gallery. Now we're going to spend major military, and now I'm talking about World War III and the, and the war, but, you know, it, again, it just dawns on me. It just dawns on me. How many people have time for all this other shit? A no-way society, a no-way culture, a no-way direction. Let's respect Deion Sanders for who he is and what he is. That's great. We don't have to make him some cultural revolutionary. It's an indictment of you when you're so shallow intellectually, philosophically, politically, culturally, socially, academically. It's an indictment of you if, when you're so shallow, you're so in need of some scapegoat, some, some superficial idol that you'll take a Deion Sanders, who is the coach of a mid-tier college football program, and make him your revolutionary. And again, that's no knock on Deion Sanders. That's a knock on all of you out there who do it. It's an indictment of you. It's not an indictment of him that you all are willing to follow him and latch on to him like some messiah for the short time until he loses two games in a row and then all of you are going to disappear. And I'm sure he knows that. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame athlete. He knows how the game goes. We all do. All of us athletes know how it goes. When you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. But I'm starting to indict the people who jump on the bandwagon when the person's hot, and then when they're not, you go back and do what? Because if you're all gung-ho about the uniqueness of a Dion Primetime Sanders when he's in the middle of his run, whether it, whatever it is in life, whether it's coaching, whether it's playing, whether it's speaking, whether it's in bid, whatever it is, when he's on his run, you being, you know, gripped, you know, it being captivating is fine. Just when you're done, what do you go back and do? That's what I, that's, that's what we need to get down to, right? I grew up in the, the sports culture and I grew up in the, the pro sports culture and I, and I became a pro athlete. So I understand how sports becomes this false catharsis for everything else that's going on in our life. Everything that's going on in our, in the world. American sports is supposed to be this beacon of competition and, and, and genuine hard work and self-sacrifice, but really it's become this, this stable, this, this, uh, it's become this stress test for the stability of distraction in, in American culture. That's what sports has become for us. It's a stabilizing force. It's, it's, it's a, it's a way to test the water and, and figure out just how stable is the American distraction. Could we really shoot cruise missiles into, the, into, into Russia and people not go batshit crazy about it because there's so many football games to watch on Saturday and Sunday that, and in so many ways to bet that nobody can even pay attention? These are the questions we got to ask ourselves. You know, in episode 100, I just, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting back on, on the direction of the podcast and I'm thinking to myself, no better topic to sort of encapsulate the, the many of the issues we've been talking about. Here we have another 
black man whose success is going to be used to the political advantage of Democrats. And meanwhile, meanwhile, they plan to take Donald Trump off the ballot. Meanwhile, they put a gag order in place, a, a, a judge in the Donald Trump court case, kangaroo court case, banana republic court case. They effectively put a gag order on a presidential candidate and said that he can't make any statements that would impact or affect the, the outcome of the, of the trial, the court proceeding. Using lawfare, using the court to censor an American political candidate. In fact, one of the most popular and most important in recent American history. This is what we're up against. This, this is the fight that this is, this is what the establishment wants to do. And they want to do it while they pacify you with sports. And we, now more than ever, we need our sportsmen to step up and say, hey, uh-uh, not going to use us. You're not going to use us to burn the country. You're not going to use us to burn the flag. You're not going to use us to burn the Constitution. You're not going to use us to burn down small uh, communities that can't defend themselves. You're not going to use us to burn anything. You're not going to burn anything in our name. Many black people, many young black athletes need to wake up to this, this mandate, this charge, this duty. We're not going to let you burn things in our name. If we want to burn shit, we'll burn shit on our own. And I'm not advocating anybody burn anything. But I'm just saying, if you, if you feel so inclined to burn something, don't let somebody burn something in your name. I mean, that's just being a cuck. That's being a cuck. A lot of, much of black America, especially, especially the politically involved black America, is, 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 you know, is a cucky movement. Well, now we got some real hitters that are going to go door to door, community by community, and pull out the black people who have never really agreed with this nonsense. Black people who've never, never been in support of this movement of this radical leftist, Marxist, LGBTQ, never been in support of. Now we're going to go find those people, pull them into the party and, and allow them to have a voice and a say and, and, and help this rhino establishment realize um, black men are much closer to America first than they are to the rhino establishment. The most important statement, the most important poll, and I'll, I'll end with this in, in, that, in, in light of that, the most important statement, the most important political poll in the last 25 years was during the pandemic when uh, about 1,200 people took a survey and 60% of Democrats said they were in favor of forcefully locking unvaccinated people in their homes. That my friends, is tyranny. That, my friends, is dangerous. And we're not even talking about it. We're not even speaking about it. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why we're, we, we, we won't speak about it. I don't know why we won't speak up and say, hey, is it, is it, is it remotely reasonable that a majority of a certain political party affiliation is willing to lock people in their homes by force who don't want to accept 
an experimental vaccine, is that remotely reasonable? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. And what we need to be trying to do right now is evangelize that other 35 to 40% of Democrats who still have some resemblance of sanity. And you know what? If I'm being honest, I think Deion Sanders probably is one of them. When I hear a man say, God bless you and all, you know, and, and praise Jesus Christ, I think he's one of the sane ones. I just don't think he knows just, just quite yet how pervasive and dangerous and corrupt and manipulative these politics have become around him and the entire American populace. 60% of Democrats said they were in favor of setting policy that would forcefully, forcefully keep the unvaccinated in their homes. This is what we need to fight. This is important. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGate.com. That's TireGate.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I appreciate your viewership today and in the future. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off, and as always, Godspeed.